Welcome to Pitch Deck, the podcast where startup founders pitch their business to investor angels or established mentors. We provide constructive feedback on both the business and the pitch itself. I'm your host, Nick Telson, and let's jump straight into the pitch studio and meet today's guests. So I'm delighted to welcome on my side of the table in this episode, Samira and Kasim, who founded Pink Salt Ventures to back purpose-led female founders. She invests early stage and is sector agnostic. Prior to Pink Salt Ventures, Samira gained significant experience as a successful tech founder and a global brand strategist. So welcome to Pitch Deck, Samira. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you here today. So before we dive into the pitch studio, I'm just going to ask you a, a couple of questions about the, um, the industry as you see it. So firstly, what sectors are really interesting you at the moment? So for me personally, because of my focus on female founders, I see a lot of really exciting startups in health tech. Obviously, there's massive growth in femtech and more generally female, you know, issues related to females health cycles. So whether that's in menopause, fertility, there's been a lot of stuff in fertility already. And then clean meat uh, and just, you know, the food tech innovation, I think that's reaching new I mean you're just getting massive innovations there that weren't previously possible and biotech in general I think you're seeing new opportunities that really are you know they're written out of a science fiction book but they're able to be commercialized now so that that really gets me excited I have to say, I've seen a lot of um, femtech as well, um, some really great brands building great communities from what I've seen. In that space, do you see it as there's going to be one or two key winners that will try and dominate all aspects of you know, feminine health? Or do you see it as a, a huge opportunity for lots of different companies to you know, sort of make their mark in their own vertical within that vertical? I think that's a really interesting question. I think it will be quite fragmented, to be honest, because it's tackled from a couple of different angles. I do think where it comes to consumer brands, you will likely have a handful or one or two strong winners because you can't, you know, their consumers have limited amount of attention. And especially, you know, when you're looking at organic tampons or things like that, you you know, you're only going to really get one or two. But when it comes to technology, I mean, the potential is endless, right, where you have genuine innovations uh, and that, that don't currently exist on the market and it's actual incremental growth. So if it's a new technology application, it's you can't, you know, if it, you can't even you can't say if that makes sense because there'll be new devices that serve women as with innovation itself. Right. I didn't think you could have imagined everything that came out of the out of the app store so if it when it comes to enabling technologies you won't know but i think consumer brands or working within the realm of things that already exist i do think you'll probably get a handful excellent and you obviously see a lot of um, pitches and pitch decks so apart from female-led founders and um, businesses with purpose what's the one thing you really like to see in a pitch or a pitch deck and what's one thing that turns you off in a pitch or a pitch deck i really like to see vision in a pitch deck i do think 
it's quite easy to spot. And that doesn't have to only be radical technological innovation. It can also be working with things that are already in existence and reimagining them in a new and novel way. You know, it's kind of, you, you see it and it's a light bulb moment. And you're like, oh, well, why doesn't that exist? That's brilliant. And it's, it's very clear. It's very obvious. Uh, so it's easy to spot, but I think it's hard, harder to describe. And what I don't like in a pitch deck, I think like a, a lack of clarity. And when, you know, people kind of go off topic or, you know, people haven't really thought about the statistics that they're using and they're kind of making a story that's not really there whether that's with market sizes or, you know, how they're using their interaction and just kind of, or just kind of going, you know, having that lack of clarity and lack of focus, it's then it's quite hard to follow. So trying to storytell around the idea rather than actually just getting to the point of what the idea, why it's going to change the industry, etc. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Thank you very much for that. So without further ado, let's um, dive into the Pitch Studio and welcome today's dual founders, which is a first on Pitch Deck. So we have husband and wife team Alex and Yang from a company called Just Wears. So fresh from your appearance on Dragon's Den, we'd love to welcome you guys to Pitch Deck. So hello, guys. Hello, hello. Hey, Nick. The floor is over to you. Hi guys, my name is Jan. And I'm Alex. Together, we're the founder of JustWears, the only underwear you both deserve. We're a direct-to-consumer brand on a mission to reinvent men's basics by combining more sustainable and technical fabrics with ergonomic designs. So from razors to chowders, shirts to sleepers, we have seen digitally native brands disrupting traditional retail in almost every category. With an innovative product, a brand that truly connects with the modern consumers and a scalable technology to measure long-term customer values. The truth is, the way we consume content and engage with brands is changing, which is driving radical growth to powerful online brands in sectors that were previously pretty boring. Just one good example is the company Away, which after just four years was valued at 1.4 billion. Now, let me ask you, when's the last time you've heard of innovation in men's basics? Probably never. But this is a 20 billion market, and for years, there has been very little changes and little thoughts given to the online product that most men wear almost 24 hours per day and every day. Most products are still made of cotton, don't breathe well, can rise up, or even chafe. And most brands spend millions to put Justin Bieber or David Beckham on black and white photos. But when you ask men today what they really want, is to feel comfortable, confident, and have fun. And none of these brands capture the need of the modern man. And so we believe every man deserves better. And this is why we created JustWears. The only underwear you both deserve. We invented an ergonomic patch design to ensure the perfect fit for your package. This gives men more support and space where they need it most. In short, we call it a palace for your phallus. Our technology allowed us to create a unique biodegradable fabric. It's sustainably sourced from beech tree fiber, 
not only make just wears five times softer than cotton, antimicrobial, it's also better for the environment too. It uses 10 times less acreage to produce, 20 times less water to produce, and 50 times less time spent in the landfill compared to any other materials like polyesters. And so while most major brands focus on sex appeal, we're all about delivering what men care about most, which is comfort, confidence, and, and most of all, having fun. With this branding, it's not just about being tongue-in-cheek. It's also building innovative product technology content that is shareable and scalable and building a community and a brand ambassador to get very gross. Now, in terms of our backgrounds, both Yang and I have previously come from the investment world, myself in the hedge fund space. and I worked in VC before starting in this business. And we're supported by an incredibly talented group of marketers and operations managers who are passionate about taking this or building Justwares to be the next uh, household name in, in basics. So we're not just talking about underwear here. Our traction also speaks for our achievement to date. When we first launched in 2017, we quickly become the most backed apparel project on Kickstarter in the UK in just under 30 days. And as you mentioned, Nick, we were recently featured on Dragon's Den. You know, since we started, we've now shipped more than 50,000 pairs of premium underwear to more than 15,000 customers in over 74 countries. We are not just about creating underwears. Like the long-term mission here is we want to become the online destination for men to shop next generation of sustainable men's basics. And more importantly, just like how FemTech is shifting the conversation and dialogue about how society talking about the topic used to be taboo, we want to encourage more men coming up to talk about their own issues as well in a much more less taboo way, but more in a fun, humorous way to make them feel empowered as well. Thank you very much, guys. That was literally bang on time. Very impressive. So thank you for that. Before we um, dive into questions from um, Samira and myself, I just want to ask you a few uh, intro questions. So firstly, I'm always very interested, you know, where you had that light bulb moment. So to go into, you were both in the finance VC world. So what made you think pants? Uh, it's a combination of experience and a real personal issue. Like uh, me working in VC have uh, given me an opportunity to stay on top of the trend, seeing so many consumer technology companies are disrupting like different category with real technology powered like uh, uh, products. And that got me always excited because I enjoy the tangibility behind the product. I enjoy the impact a simple product could leave on generations. And in the meantime, Alex worked in finance. He has been sitting in the office like for oftentimes over 10, 15 hours. And the thing he would complain nonstop is how uncomfortable he feel around his project area. <laughs> this become personal, but it is true that it's hard to find a piece of like a comfortable underwear uh, for men compared to like a woman have many options of bra, better fitting bra for them to choose. This is when we think about how about we combine the direct consumer like business model and coming up with some real innovation to solving real issue men possibly would have. And then that's where just where it come from. 
as um, a husband and wife team that you know they are people often say don't don't work with loved ones and I myself worked with my best mate at design my night how did you both decide to go in this together as co-founders and you know are you were you concerned about you know working too much together and then having your personal life together as well that's a great question. It's one that I think about a lot. And I think in most cases, it's probably right. I think in our particular case, you know, Young has an incredible ability to build a brand and a customer experience that really connect with people. And I think I offset that and balance that with a set of skills that are really focused on, you know, making sure wheels don't come off the bus as we pick up speed. So I think in our particular case, you know, we had very complementary skill sets. I think The main thing with any co-founder relationship is that you're going to have conflict and you're going to face tough times and you're going to need to either, you know, fight, turn against each other or, you know, galvanize and and basically partner with each other. And I think in, I would actually argue it's probably a, it's a significant advantage to have somebody that you've already gone through the many ups and downs of life together to then go into starting a business together. Because when you deal with that volatility and you come through tough times, you have a really solid foundation and like groundwork that you're going to get through it together and you're going to basically work through whatever that issue is. Because, you know, I previously had a co-founder and we went through tough times and, you know, it, it was not quite the same. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, so, Samir, if I bring you in um, and, yeah, if you want to kick off with some questions. Sure. So, I guess, first of all, would you be willing to share your revenue and what your unit economics and margin are? Do you just have the shorts, the underwear at the moment, right? So just for that one product. So the product-wise, like our goal is we want to focus on making one product the best we can. Uh, So instead of dilute us into multiple category, it's simple for operation management. Also, it makes sure that we build our product defensibility against many other people when we only have a single focus. And when it comes to tractions, like we having... We started in on Kate Saturday in 2017 just as a crowdfunding project. And then when it turned really successful, uh, we first launched, officially launched in 2018 October time. We have been trading just about a year and a half time and we uh, approaching to seven figures uh, turnover by year end. Oh, incredible. Well done. That's brilliant. And what are your unit economics on each pair of pants? We're roughly running around like uh, about 60% off gross margin. Well, we have over 50% off like repeat purchase within a year time. So that is, it's really good business sector to be because a high gross margin while also high repeat purchase returning rate when your product has been proven so popular and uh, like customer really like it. And are you just selling online, just purely on direct channels, or what's your where are you, what are your sales channels? We still think we're still a young business, and the way uh, online channel is the solo so main focus we are talking about. Before COVID, we had the opportunity to explore the opportunity of go offline, partnered with uh, boutique like vintage uh, retails, but now the the whole world has significantly changed and even retail has been moving online. So it seems like we're leading ahead of the game in this category. Okay. And what's your marketing strategy been around? I know in the deck, 
you're taking quite an quirky approach. You've pulled some stunts. Can you talk me through that a little bit more? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So just like uh, when you think about, comparatively speaking, like when you think about fintech, like a lot of people used to be shy away from talking in the public. And when we're talking about this mess issue, like uh, chafing, getting sweaty around the crouch or like on real adjustment, it is also an awkward, embarrassing topic to talk about. So we are trying to use the leverage of humor as our branding marketing strategy to connect with a customer, to hook with a customer. From there, they were they got attracted to our marketing. They come to check out the product. They give it a try. The product turns out to be a game changer for this. Then they're coming back as a re, uh, loyal customers. And we made it acquired then through like digital uh, channel like paid acquisition, PPC. Referral has been one of our strongest ones. Yeah. And, and to add to that, I think, you know, in the early stage of a business, it's all about testing many different channels, testing many different strategies and really exploring to find product market fit. I would say that was, you know, really the first 12 months of what we were doing. Uh, and I think what really resonated and what we found, you know, worked quite well, at least for our business, was two main pillars, which was really social proof and gifting. So a lot of what we do is really focused around you know, building, you know, scalable and shareable digital online content, because as a guy, you're probably not going to go tell, you know, your friend, hey, I've got the greatest new underwear at a party, but it's very easy to share a piece of digital content that's pretty funny and cover something that, you know, you might not otherwise talk about. Um, and then with gifting, you know, that's been a fairly new channel for us. It's been scaling actually very quickly. Great. And when do you think you'll launch different product lines? We started like for the first year, we only focused on one product, which is our signature pouch underwears. And uh, up to now, after two and a half years, we have launched, there are four products available for you to purchase online or around the underwears, basically serving for people's different tastes or preference about underwear. So we want the strategy here is we want to become the brand for men to go to buy underwear. And then with that loyalty, we were extended to other basic category. Uh, could it be a performance socks? Could it be other like uh, technical apparel uh, clothing? And that we are looking at a uh, two to three years timeline. In the year. And in terms of geography, do you find customers from one specific place or do you focus on one specific place or how? what's your strategy there? So right off the bat, I mean, just in our Kickstarter alone, we had orders from all around the world. I mean, over 73 different countries. And I think, you know, we took a very you know, intentional decision to really focus on scaling in one particular market, building a solid position in that market before we decide to go elsewhere. So our core focus has really been to, you know, build growth, build a solid base here in the UK, uh, and then, you know, take that, you know, abroad, either to the US where we find our content resonates really well. Um, or to broader Europe, where you know digitally native penetration is is much lower. So yeah, for the time being, we really focus on scaling in UK, and we've had great success in you know, taking customers away from brands like Calvin Klein and Hugo Boss. How big was your Kickstarter campaign? So you say it was the biggest or one of the biggest. How big was it? And do you know you know how did that happen? Do you think? So twenty seventeen is. We become the most backed power project in the UK regionally. Like we have received over 
total 173,000 pounds of revenue from over 2,000 customers across 74 countries. Yeah, and, and what's actually been interesting is a lot of those people have come back to purchase a second, third, and fourth, and even fifth time with us. Great. In terms of fundraising then, what, what's been your journey on that front? So you did the Kickstarter campaign to fund your initial batch, and then when did you go to market, and how much did you raise, and at what valuation, and what's your current ask? <laughs> I, I, I think that's that's an area where we're probably less likely to share. I would say, you know, we, we've brought on uh, several dozen angel investors. You know, they've actually added a lot to the business outside of capital uh, alone. You know, we've had some incredible people that have really, you know, been mentors to us on the marketing side as well as operations. And I mean, really, actually, that was probably one of the best decisions we ever made was to go out and seek investment from angels because it brought so many different talents and skill sets to our business that we as founders you know, didn't quite have at the time. Great. So you did the Kickstarter, then you did an angel round. And then what's your next step? And when did you do the angel round? Was that in 2018? We did an initial angel round in 2018 uh, and a subsequent one in 2019. And so, okay, so we did an original round in 2018, then we had a follow on from those investors in 2019. And then we had brought on some new angel investors uh, early this year. Basically, when, when the world went into COVID, we saw an, an incredible boost in our business. Uh, we probably went up 4x, 5x during that time frame because everybody was sitting at home and you know spending a lot more time uh, on social and how they spent their time and how they engage with brands. That was something that you know, it was, it was a pretty big positive for us. And so we were just focused on keeping up with that. And so we raised additional capital to essentially fund inventory and, and to kind of, you know, keep up with the scale of growth. Uh, so that way we didn't, you know, run out of, of stock. And in terms of the future, what do you guys want to get VC funding? Or are you going to just still get funding from angels? What's your ideal plan? Absolutely. Like uh, that is part of our plan. We say we have built up like a good success and solid traction with the limited resource we have, we started with. And uh, as we are approaching to a really appealing turnover at the end of the year, uh, also with the potential of the business, we aim to start the conversation with uh, VCs to really power through the business to take it to the next stage. We're already in conversation with multiple VCs in the cities. Most of them are quite excited of the achievement we had, over, especially over the COVID period time. We are trying to make that as sustainable metric figures to carry on to grow to the next stage. And if you're looking at the brand for you guys, uh, when I was doing research on you, I, I'm now suddenly bombarded on Facebook with every pants supplier in the UK, it seems. And I was surprised at the number of independent pants suppliers beyond Calvin Klein, etc. And some also have a pouch. So what makes Just Wears the standout one versus all the others? There's a multiple layer of this. The first layer is a branding side. I think a real consumer, like a, most of the consumer brand we come across today don't really have a product defensibility. Like it's pretty easy to make uh, product at a, at a cheap cost in nowadays time. But the real value is the branding you build up, the connection the, you build up with the customer and how they, how you turn this customer to become your power, powerful groups to spread the word for you. 
And this part is coming down to like the soft power, how you manage that uh, through day-to-day -day interaction with customers. And when it comes to like a product side, we're quite humble to see after our like initial success, there are multiple copycats coming out in the UK market. And it is flattered for us, which just have like two and, uh, two and a half years like old, who are two, three and a half a year old like business. And on the um, repeat purchase, you said you've got around 50%, which is great. How many pants does someone buy? Um, you know, as a man, I'm, I'm trying to think, okay, you've got these customers, you know, what lifetime value can you get out of a customer? So what do the economics look like on like male pants purchasing? Yeah, that's a great question. So typically what we see is people start out with either two pairs or three pairs. And like I mentioned, I mean, gifting is a great channel for us because oftentimes guys are not out there hunting for the next new greatest pair of underwear. In fact, you know, one of the nice things about this is that men actually own on average only two brands. And so what that means is if you can make your way into the wardrobe uh, with a better quality product at a good value, you're likely going to be there to stay for a long period of time. Now, in terms of how many pairs of pants most men have, it's about 15 to somewhere between 15 and 25. I would say a lot of those pairs probably don't get worn. So you probably have like a dozen that you wear regularly. And so what we typically see is people will start off with maybe two or three pairs and then they'll come back and buy another six pairs or nine pairs. And then what we'll see is they'll either come back and buy again, or they'll even come back and buy them as gifts for other people. And that's what actually makes this business so scalable is that really focusing on the kind of the social proof element and really kind of taking our brand and making it very fun and interesting. It's something that people want to share with others because of a lot of the humor that's just embedded with, with our products, with our brand, just kind of in every element, uh, you know, in terms of the experience with us. And in terms of acquisition, who do you... You know, who realistically is someone who will acquire you? Will it be a Calvin Klein or would it be some something like private equity if you're very profitable? Where, where do you see that ending up? Yeah, it's a great question. We actually spent, you know, oh, two weeks over the uh, Christmas period literally going through, I would say, 60 or so odd uh, acquisitions in the digitally native space. There's been quite a few and, and it really breaks down to three categories. So, I mean, the first is really when you're winning in a market and the incumbents are kind of forced to buy you because if they don't, they're going to lose. You know, that's kind of pie in the sky type stuff. I mean, there have been incredible acquisitions. I mean, the most obvious one are in the shaving category. That's certainly a channel that, that's very possible. I would say the other ones where you see more commonly is where you build great product market fit. Uh, you really have a scalable solution that both works offline and online. And you get bought by some either private equity or distribution company that says, okay, we're going to take you, take this product, take this brand and, you know, go out and 10 exit or 20 exit through our existing distribution networks. That I would say is, is by far the most common. And then, I mean, the third main, main category is, is what I call the Netflix, you know, acquisition model, uh, which is basically how net, Netflix started as kind of the content or basically before they did, they started as just a, you know, being a, a place that provided where you can rent DVDs. And eventually they backward integrated into content. And I think, you know, many of the major retailing companies are under pressure to find growth because, you know, people just aren't going to malls anymore. And so I think as you see many of these department stores, you know, trying to find areas that are growing, you'll increasingly see them, you know, look for other interesting brands that they can backward integrate in terms of, you know, buying. And you've actually seen Walmart be a pretty active 
uh, acquirer in the space. Um, there are a couple other retailers that have been active acquirers in the space. So I think for us, it's just about really focusing on executing and, and building a great company. And I think you know, there are many channels for uh, a potential exit down the road. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Alex and Yang. Really appreciate you um, coming on Pitch Deck. Um, so yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, thank, thank you, you very much. So Samira, we're outside the pitch studio. It's just us two for a summary on what you think of Just Wear. So yeah, kick off. Well, firstly, what do you what do you make of the space underwear, male underwear? Well, I think I mean it's very competitive what they're trying to do. I see their point on kind of sustainability. I do think consumers are looking for choices, sustainable options in everyday products that they're currently using that aren't eco-conscious. But I don't know that there's the same grab that you saw in the personal cosmetic space where I do think consumers just got a bit bored of the marketing gimmicks of the big consumer players. And there was an appetite for that kind of simplicity, which the original direct-to-consumer has played upon. And then, you know, ultimately it's about having marketing secret sauce, right, for those kind of companies to be a success, which it sounds like they have uh, in terms of humor. So like looking at the deck and hearing the pitch, I was much more pleasantly surprised after the pitch. While when I first saw the deck, I was like, are they really solving for a problem here? And it's very competitive and it's going to be quite expensive for the marketing for this to hit scale. I agree. I I think uh, when you're looking like a moat around the product itself, you know, as Yang mentioned, there's already a lot of copycats on the market. So if you're just relying on your branding being better, that's a bit of a risky strategy. Would you worry that being D2C only, even with a what are they, 60% gross margin, the actual amount of money they'd need to achieve global scale would be you know, a, a huge sum of money? It would be a huge sum of money. And are there enough customers that this is a legitimate problem for? But at the same time, you know, I do think I'm I'm not a guy, right? So I don't know if there is a problem. I'd have to go and talk to customers. I don't know if you genuinely do find current underwear itchy and annoying. But I think another thing that they pointed at in the deck was that, you know, the problem with most underwear these days is that it's fashion focused. I, I, I disagree with that being a problem. Fashion, as they discussed themselves, they are selling a commoditized product through the brands. Like that's what fashion is, right? It's creating a story, creating desire. And when you use those kind of, that's also a common strategy in direct to consumer products is using celebrities. So when you see Calvin Klein's on Justin Bieber, like subliminally, that does work, right? He's a pop star with a lot of influence and whether we like it or not, we're all subject to popular culture. So, you know, you'll always use narrative and storytelling and desire to sell clothes. That's that's not a problem to me. Uh, maybe some certain narratives are antiquated, but I don't know. I think using icons of popular culture is is a tried and tested strategy that works, but it's very expensive for a startup to compete with that. Yeah, and I almost feel that you know, with male underwear, even though it's not explicit, there is a, a sexy element to it. So, you know, a guy wearing Calvin Klein briefs has that certain element of sexuality to it. 
um, even though you know it's not as over in in the male world versus female world. So I wonder that actually being fashion forward, let's say, or you know, brand conscious in the underwear space is probably more important than say fragrance or beauty, etc. For men, yeah, I think so because it's it's again, it's a very it's a very basic and simple product, right? Whereas beauty products, you can really differentiate on the quality of the product and there's going to there's a performance aspect uh if i you know if i get really good beauty products they're actually going to work whereas much cheaper beauty products might irritate my skin i have very sensitive skin and very different ingredients go into it whereas cotton underpants why does everyone wear calvin clients you know it's it's like it does work and i think it's interesting like Victoria's Secret is really interesting to me because I do think I used to love those shows, actually, um, even though I'm a feminist. I, I thought there was something, you know, the women were strong. Of course, they're supermodels, but it does seem antiquated, right? It's quite 90s. There is a sense of it being objectifying, although you could argue that it's just fun. But if you look at like what Rihanna's done with Savage Fenty, she's kind of, it's still sexy, right? She's not She's not discounting sexiness, but she's made she's made sexy, inclusive and fun. And, you know, it's about different body shapes, but it's still she's still it's still about sex. Right. It's not she's not saying we should all wear like frumpy underwear and not celebrate our sexuality. So I think sometimes when people try to differentiate on a different point, they miss the important like sex does. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think that's a problem. On the flip of what we were saying about scale, etc., I've, I've seen a lot of decks and people that have been on Kickstarter achieving a lot, lot, lot less than what these guys have achieved. So there were obviously this is public, so being a bit cagey about their revenue, but I think we can assume it's over a hundred grand a month uh, recurring revenue, getting you know over a hundred and seventy grand from Kickstarter is way beyond um, you know, a lot of the, the early stage D2C brands that I see. So does that, you know, positive sales with 50%, you know, repeat purchase, can that break through the concerns of of what we're saying here for you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cause I think with direct to consumer, it's again, it's about the seat that when I say the marketing, it's a secret sauce. And it sounds like in them taking that humor angle and people sharing things, they are actually carving out a niche in the market, you know, and if their product does genuinely perform better and they can build the brand, which is, you know, it is, it's using a different, it's using humor, right? As opposed to celebrities, which is also, you could argue a lot cheaper as well. So it gives them a path to scale via marketing yeah, that would make me look at it differently. Like, because I also think it's just about great entrepreneurs and great businesses and great operators, right? And there's always a space for someone who can perform on a superior level. And maybe another couple of entrepreneurs would try this idea and it wouldn't go anywhere. But clearly, I, I was really impressed by both of them and the clarity of their thinking and, you know, how much they understood their own space and how they were going to scale it and unit economic you know their their unit economics and how they thought about it and as well that kind of broader piece not just thinking about the pants alone but going into different categories 
So they're, you know, they've clearly, they're good entrepreneurs in terms, and they've got really good commercial acumen. So yeah, I would definitely take a second meeting with them. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I'm dubious of the space itself. And I thought you made a super interesting point that, you know, actually, in some instances, sex sells almost over environmental concerns, let's say, and, you know, underwear might be one. So yeah, I, I, I was on the exact same wavelength of you as that. But as you said, you know, they're clearly impressive. They know what they're doing. You know, again, they, they didn't mention, but, you know, if they've only raised angel funding, it can't have been a ton of money um, to date um, and to achieve the figures that they've achieved um, with their, their margins as well. I think that alone, I'm very founder focused. So that alone gives them the credibility to, to dig a bit deeper, I think. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. So I think we both agree there. So it's the, the, the perfect time to uh, end this episode. So it just leaves me to say thank you so much for joining me, Samir. I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure to be involved in, ha- and chat with you too. So it's just myself now in the uh, pitch studio, just to give my final summary on Just Wears. It's a really, really interesting one because as Samir and myself discussed, I think it's less of them solving a immediate problem, but more spotting a market that was ripe for disruption. I mean, they're true. The, the male underwear market is dominated by, you know, Boss and Calvin Klein and the designer brands. And there hasn't you know, really been innovation in terms of comfort, material, environmentally friendly. But then that flips back on itself as Samira was saying, rightly, I think, is actually in this market, is the brand important? Do men want Calvin Klein on their band, on their underwear band? Is that important? And I think it is. So, it, you know, in order to, to, to achieve mass scale for a D2C brand, it's all well and good spotting a market that's ripe for disruption. Um, but are they necessarily solving a problem that is there for, for a lot of men? Having said that, the, the interesting thing is because those two are really impressive, Alex and Yang, you know, coming from finance and VC background, you know, Yang obviously really understands branding. If you ever get to see their marketing on Facebook, very tongue in cheek, you know, gets lots of shares. And it's obviously, a, you know, quite a, a jokey area that you can have a lot of fun with. So those two as founders are super impressive. Personally, as an investor, a husband and wife team, throws up doubts for me but Alex did answer that question very well I thought yes you know founders will need to go through a lot together and who better than a husband and wife to do that to be frank as an investor you do worry that you know if the husband and wife do it you know break up let's be frank then you know, that obviously then causes problems for the business as well but they seem like a fantastic team and another thing that I was very impressed with was them understanding their pillars of marketing. I think they knew who they were targeting, the message they were targeting for, focusing on gifting. I think, you know, they are right that, you know, do men actively talk about the underwear that they're buying or get excited about buying new underwear? I'm not so sure. I think most men, yeah, will just go and pick up a a box of Calvin Klein's. Um, So I think they really understood that side of it. And I think because of that, as Samira said, I think that would lead to a deeper conversation rather than a no at this stage. And, you know, I think their job will be to prove to us that there is scale, that there is a problem they're solving and there can be mass adoption for JustWares. And if you'd like to check out Alex and Yang's product, head over to just-wares.com. 
And if you want to go and see Samira's ventures, head over to pinksaltventures.com. And as ever, you can check out my startup playground at horseplay.ventures. And if you're an investor interested to speak to Alex and Yang, drop us a contact on there and we'll put you directly in touch. And if you're a founder or startup hoping to get on a future episode of Pitch Deck, do let us know on that website too. And as ever, I super appreciate it if you can share this episode of this podcast on your social media. Please subscribe. And if you can just share it with at least one person today that you think would benefit, I would hugely appreciate it.